Good morning. Today we are continuing in part three of our series entitled The Good Shepherd and the Sheep. And if you've got wool coming out of your ears by now, we've just got a little bit further to go on this woolly subject where we're focusing on the 23rd Psalm as our primary text. In part one, we learned that we must make sure that we are following the right shepherd, that we are the sheep. There are many shepherds in this world, but there is only one good shepherd, and we need to make certain that we are following him. In part two, we learned that though sheep may go astray, just as we saw in the video, the good shepherd never stops looking for sheep. He never writes them off, says, ah, I've got the rest, good riddance to that one. He goes out and looks for them and brings them home. And now today in part three, we are going to look at the valley of the shadow of death. Verse four is going to be our primary focus this morning. In the first picture, we're going to have this as a backdrop to help you picture this valley of the shadow of death. Now, we're going to continue along with ingraining Psalm 23 into our minds and hearts. So we're going to recite the 23rd Psalm together once again in preparation for the big test next Sunday. And Alyssa already did a great job coming up and reading it this morning. Good job. Preparation. It wasn't so scary. So next Sunday, anyone age 18 and under, you've already heard the challenge. Anyone who comes up, recites the 23rd Psalm, is going to be uh, given the gift of a new Bible. So we're not going to be handing out new Bibles next Sunday, but those who recite will then have a chance after the service to personalize your selection of what kind of Bible you would like, and then we will give those to you at a later date. So this is your week. So parents... Be on your kids, remind them this is happening, it's on the bulletin, put it on your fridge, recite it every day, and maybe you'll memorize it as well. And just so you know, next Sunday, we're going to recite it as a congregation without having any words on the backdrop or in your bulletin. So would you stand with me, and we're going to recite it once more. We've already heard it once, it should be familiar to us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that these words, this beautiful promise and prayer from your word, would go further than just our minds, but that they would sink deep within each one of our hearts. Father, these are beautiful promises from you and much truth that can guide our lives. And so we pray that you would continue to ingrain this into our lives, that you are our good shepherd, that we can trust you in all things. And so we pray now that you would bless your word, give us fresh insight, lead us by your Holy Spirit. May the words be yours, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Five-year-old Johnny was in the kitchen as his mother was making supper. She needed a certain ingredient, and so she asked him to go into the pantry and to get her a can of tomato soup. But he didn't want to go into the pantry alone. 
It's dark in there, and I'm scared. She asked again, and he persisted. It's dark in there. I don't want to go in alone. So finally, attempting to reassure her young son, she says to him, It's okay. Jesus will be, be with you in there. You don't need to be scared. Go in. Jesus will be with you. And so, being slightly reassured, he went over to the dark pantry. He peeked inside, saw that it was still dark. He started to leave when suddenly an idea crossed his mind. And he said, Jesus, if you're really in there, would you mind handing me that can of tomato soup? I love that story. I've told it before. But it perfectly illustrates our theme for this morning. Johnny's childhood fear of the dark and his doubt as to whether Jesus would or would not really be with him in the dark perfectly illustrates the doubts and fears that we all face at one time or another, especially when we enter the valley of the shadow of death. It's deep and it's dark, and we're not quite sure, will Jesus really be with us? Listen again to King David's words, written from the perspective of a sheep following his shepherd. Verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now the picture that is on the backdrop, this is taken from Israel, and this valley is the very one believed by many scholars to be the one referred to as the backdrop for David's Psalm 23. The valley is named the Wadi Quelt. And in the Wadi Quelt, you'll see in the background there is, uh, or in the foreground, I should say, there's a, a structure built right in the middle. That is St. George's Monastery. And they've built it there, believing this to be the location of this psalm where they have gone for centuries. This was built in the 5th century. They have gone for centuries to meditate and reflect on God's word and specifically this scripture. Now, this valley runs down from the vicinity of Jerusalem to Jericho. And so it is quite likely that David, at one time or another, led his sheep through this very valley as a youth. You can see that the valley is deep, steep, and narrow. The sun only partially hits the floor of the valley, even at high noon. The rest of the time, the valley is covered in shadow. In the picture, you can see how even on a very bright and sunny day, there are still long shadows covering much of the valley bottom. Now, to travel along the valley bottoms was always a gamble. On the one hand, it provided the only viable way through the rough countryside, with the benefit of there being a stream at the bottom to provide a ready source of water for the sheep. But on the other hand, countless caves dot the cliff sides along the bottom of these ravines and valleys. Within these caves, it could be concealed wild animals or bandits lying in ambush. But though there were many threats, while in Israel I learned from our Palestinian tour guide the one day that of all of the threats in traveling along a valley, by far the greatest danger was not the threat of animals or bandits or falling off the trail. By far the greatest danger in the Middle East anywhere is the threat of a flash flood. All it takes is a quick downpour in the mountains above, which the dry rocky soil is incapable of absorbing, and a wall of muddy water can quickly gather and rush down the narrow canyons and wash away an entire flock of sheep, shepherd included, in an instant. And you'll see a picture of a flash flood in this next slide, uh, taken from Israel, 
where just hours before this picture was taken, it was completely dry, and there you see a fairly steady uh, stream being, being rushing down the valley. And so here we see that for all of these reasons combined, every moment in the valley was spent under the threat of imminent danger. So in both a symbolic and literal way, the shadow of death was cast over all who traveled its narrow pathway. This is a perfect metaphor for our lives. Let me share with you a few key truths from this scripture about dealing with darkness, disaster, and death. The first is this. The valley is unavoidable. In order for the shepherd to lead his sheep to the green pastures, there were times where traveling through the deep, dark valleys was simply unavoidable. They didn't look forward to it. They knew its dangers, but they had no other alternative. They simply had to. Look at verse 4 and notice the air of inevitability about it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Or as another translation puts it, even though. There's this air of foreboding, of dread, not looking forward to this. The sheep is clearly not looking forward to traveling through the valley, but he has resigned himself to the fact it can't be avoided. So too for each of us as we journey through life. We all know that unless Jesus returns first, our own death is unavoidable. I already know that my gravestone will have at least one date on it. I know that date. That date is September 25th, 1982. That is the date of my birth. That is the date we know that will be on my, on my tombstone. The only other date that is unknown is the final date. And as Pastor Bill Hybels once put it, the entirety of our lives is summarized by the dash between the two dates. And so in this way, from the moment we are born, death casts its long shadow over us as we daily travel towards it. It's going to happen. It is unavoidable. In the same way, things are going to happen in life that are unavoidable. That's something we can count on. You may be coming out of a dark valley right now, or perhaps you're stuck right in the middle of one. Maybe you're just at the beginning. Everything looks good, but you don't realize that unavoidably there's a valley waiting just ahead of you. Job 5 verse 7 says this, Mankind is born for troubles as surely as sparks fly upward. In other words, Job says it can't be avoided. Sparks fly upward, so too man is born for trouble. The valley is unavoidable. Secondly, the valley is unpredictable. Dark valleys are almost always unscheduled. Remember those flash floods I was talking about? They could arrive with little or no warning. They could wash away an entire flock in a matter of seconds. That is just how suddenly and unpredictably dark valleys can arrive. And most of the time they arrive at the worst possible time. But then again, is there ever a good time to have a flat tire? Is there? I've never experienced one. Is there ever a good time to get laid off from work? Is there ever a good time to be diagnosed with cancer or to lose a parent or a spouse or a child? Look at what Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 20 says. Disaster after disaster is reported, for the whole land is destroyed. Suddenly my tents are destroyed, my tent curtains destroyed in a moment. Of course, we usually try our best not to think about death or the suddenness of it. And of course, the younger a person is, the further away it seems. But there comes moments in our lives where we are quickly reminded 
of just how near death really is. It does not take only the old, but it can also take the young. We are sometimes reminded of this reality by experiencing what we'll call a a close call, where you or someone you know walked away from an accident that you had no business walking away from. I've experienced a few of those in my life, and I know a few of you have as well. The close call. It can happen when you receive an unexpected diagnosis of a serious illness. It can happen in perhaps the most shocking of all, one that members of this church family have experienced more than once. It happens when you receive the phone call. Most of you know the kind of phone call I'm talking about. It's the kind where you are told something like, there's been an accident. There were no survivors. They're gone. If you've ever received a phone call at all like that, you know how instantly it flips your life upside down, leaving you stunned and in utter disbelief. At moments like that, your life can be snatched from the sunniest of days. Everything looks to be going smoothly. The sun is shining brightly, and suddenly it is flipped upside down in an instant. You are plunged into the deepest, darkest hole. It seems as though life is over and that the sun will never shine again. And if it were to, you would resent its very light. For all you can feel is darkness. In those moments, it can even feel as though God has abandoned you and that life as you know it is over. Job experienced how suddenly the shadow of death can descend in the most drastic of ways. We know his story. He lost his entire estate. He lost all of his children in a single day. In his sorrow, he cursed the day of his birth. And in Job chapter 3, verse 11, he declares, Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? For even a man of devout faith like Job, a faith like few others this world has ever seen, even for him, the unpredictability and the suddenness of the blow left him feeling utterly abandoned by God, wishing he had never been born in the first place so he wouldn't have to be feeling all of this pain. Yes, my friends, the valley is unpredictable. Thirdly, the valley is impartial. In other words, the valleys happen to everyone. No one is immune, and Job speaks to that. No one's journey through life goes without a dark valley. Everyone faces troubles of various kinds at various times. Both good people and bad people see them. Problems don't care how good or bad you are. Both the obedient sheep, who's always at the shepherd's side, and the black sheep, who's always wandering off, they both had to travel through the valley. And often when we're in the valley, one of the first reactions most of us have is, Why me? But as Leanne's great-uncle Denny said when he was diagnosed with cancer, the real question is not, why me? The real question is, why not me? For him, he said, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I would rather be the one to have to go through cancer than someone who does not know him. Do you think Christians should be exempt from problems? Problems happen to everyone, including us. And God makes that very clear. Faith in him does not remove us from life's troubles. Faith in him helps us through life's troubles. Matthew chapter 5 verse 45 says this. God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 
You see, the valley is impartial. Everyone must journey through at one time or another. But this brings us to our first piece of good news about the dark valley. The valley is temporary. It is temporary. Look at this, look at this very key word in verse 4. Yea, though I walk through. Through. It is a passageway. It is not a destination. We don't walk to the valley. We walk through the valley. Valleys don't last forever. They are not our permanent residence. The sheep knows that he is following his shepherd through the valley. It's not his destination. Of course, when we're in the valley, it feels permanent. It has a sense of finality about it, as though we are trapped in a cave that has no other exit. But the truth is, we are not trapped. Dark valleys are more like a tunnel. There is light at the other end. One way or the other, the good shepherd will lead us through. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul wrote this. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I love that word, momentary. It's as though Paul is rephrasing verse 4 of Psalm 23. We are going through the valley. Paul experienced more dark valleys than most of us here combined. And yet he said they are light and momentary. They are going, they are coming to pass. Because heaven is our destination. I love that phrase. Paul knew that whatever valley he was facing, God would lead him through and into a better tomorrow. And so even if you lived to 80 or 90 or 100 years old, and even if you lived 100 years and experienced nothing but problems and pain and trouble all your life, that is insignificant compared to the endless years of eternity in heaven. It's like we sing in the song, 10,000 years and we've only just begun. Heaven is a place that will forever be free of the valley. And so remember, the good shepherd leads us to the valley in order to lead us through the valley. It is not our final destination. Heaven is. Always remember that. Fifthly, the valley has a purpose. God has a reason for bringing us through the dark valleys. Whether you have a valley full of doubt, despair, discouragement, or defeat, God has a reason behind it. We think that valleys are unnatural, but they are in fact natural part of the terrain, the landscape of life. Sometimes the valleys arrive as a consequence of our own poor choices. Sometimes the valleys arrive through no fault of our own. But whatever they are, even in addition to the valley of death itself, there are other types of valleys, financial valleys, relationship valleys, emotional valleys, all kinds of valleys in our lives. So we always ask the question, why does God allow them? Well, the specific reasons can vary according to the context. But there are two purposes of God that always apply to any valley experience. The first is this, to teach us to trust him more deeply. And secondly, to deepen our intimacy with him. Look again at verse 4. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. 
Make no mistake about it. There is evil in this world. There is evil, and the face of it is fearsome. Evil stems from both the devil's schemes and the disobedience of men's hearts against God. The face of evil is terrifying. We can think of countless examples of evil just in this past century alone. We can think of the face of evil in our world today. It is terrifying. And yet, in the face of that, the sheep confidently declares, I will fear no evil. None. He doesn't quantify. He doesn't narrow it down to only some evil. It is a blanket statement. No evil. No evil, no matter how fearsome, no matter how dark. The sheep says, I will fear no evil. What a statement. What confidence. Let me ask you, can you say that? Can you say today, in the face of the darkest evil this world has to offer, I will not fear it. I will fear no evil. And whether you can declare that confidently right now or not, God desires that for you. He desires for you to know the complete peace and confidence that comes from being near to him. You see, for the sheep, if the shepherd is near, there is nothing to fear. Not because evil is not fearful, but because the good shepherd is greater than the greatest evil in the world. But in order to have that kind of confidence, it has to be personal. No one but Jesus can give that confidence to you. I want you to take note of how the sheep's reference to the shepherd changes in verse 4. In verses 1 to 3, the sheep, ha- the sheep has been talking about the shepherd, saying things like, He makes me lie down, he leads me, he restores me, and so on. But in verse 4, he stops talking about the shepherd, and he starts talking to the shepherd. If he were to remain consistent throughout the verse, he would have said, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. But that's not what he says, is it? No, what does he say? He says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. There is nothing quite like a dark valley to make us stop talking about the shepherd and to start talking to the shepherd. For this reason, it is most often in the deepest, darkest, most dangerous places of our lives that our intimacy with Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, is forged, strengthened, and deepened. It is there that religion becomes relationship. Quite simply, our faith is built in the valleys of life. How do you know if you will be faithful unless you are faced with an experience that requires you use it? How do you know how much endurance God can give you unless you have been stretched beyond your human abilities to endure? How do you know if you can trust God to deliver you unless you go through a time where his deliverance is necessary? You see, if God's goal in life was to make you safe and comfortable, there would be no dark valleys. But that is not his goal for your life or for mine. His goal for us is to build our faith strengthen our character and deepen our intimacy with him, all so that we can serve and glorify him with our entire lives. You see, God is not preparing us for retirement on the beach. God is preparing us for eternity in heaven. So let me wrap up with a few final thoughts of application. What do we do when we are in a dark valley? The first is simple and straightforward. Seek the good shepherd's comforting touch. Verse 4, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
This next picture will give you a bit of an illustration. A shepherd holding his staff in his hand. The sheep are around him. And now for most of my life, I, don't, I didn't quite understand or get how a rod and a staff could be comforting to a sheep. You know, I can understand that the, the staff is used to drive off wolves or to rescue sheep trapped in a crevice. But those events in and of themselves are slightly traumatic and not all that comforting. But again, while we're in Israel, I learned from our Palestinian tour guide that the reason the rod and the staff are comforting to the sheep is that as the shepherd walks through his flock, he will often have his staff in his hand and he will rub the sheep's backs with it as he walks along. It's a way of saying, I'm near, I'm close. As the sheep come into the sheepfold, he will, he will count the sheep as they enter. He will have the staff in his hand. He will rub it along their backs as they enter the sheepfold. The staff, the touch of the shepherd, is comforting and calming to the sheep. He would especially do this after dark or in a storm, when it wasn't possible for the sheep to see their shepherd, so that even though they couldn't see him, they could feel his touch and know he was near. When you're going through a dark valley, sometimes you can't see the shepherd. Wait for his touch. Call for his touch. He is near. He will reach out his hand to you. Our call to worship in Psalm 32, verses 6 and 7 says this. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You remember the flash floods? Those won't touch them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. You see, there are dark times in life when God seems a million miles away. Call out to him. Wait for his touch on your life. It might come in a variety of different ways. Perhaps it will come through a word spoken by a friend, a whisper in your mind, or simply a feeling of peace in your heart, an assurance that I am near. Do not fear. But make no mistake about it, all true comfort comes from the Good Shepherd's touch on your life. So call out to him, pray to him, and seek his touch. Then secondly, never surrender. Keep your eyes on the shepherd and keep going. There's a famous saying, if you're going through hell, keep going. It was 75 years ago that the man who said that, a chubby, stoop-shouldered, funny-faced man with a speech impediment, took his new job as the Prime Minister of Great Britain. His first order of business was merely to save the British Empire from overwhelming enemy forces surrounding them on all sides. His first day on the job, May 10th, 1940, the British looked to be finished and stood utterly alone against Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany. Two weeks later, France was knocked out of the war. The British troops had to scramble to escape at the beaches of Dunkirk. The Germans took complete control of all of Europe, and it seemed impossible and a foregone conclusion that Britain would be overrun as well. With almost no hope left, the desperate nation turned to one man, their new prime minister, and they listened to his very first public broadcast, who was, of course, Winston Churchill. This is the speech they heard that day. I have nothing to offer you but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. And he followed that with another speech shortly thereafter. 
We shall fight them on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets and the hills. We shall never, ever surrender. And from the darkest of valleys, Churchill rallied the British people to keep going. And not only did they not give up, not only did they not surrender, in just over four years' time, they saw the defeat and surrender of every last one of their enemies. No matter what valley you are in today, refuse to give up. Never, ever surrender. Keep your eyes on Jesus and keep going. You can't go around the valley, and there's no shortcuts through. But with his help, his presence, and his guidance, you can and will get through the valley and out the other side into a better tomorrow. And for as Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word this morning. Thank you how it applies to every last one of us. None of us are immune or exempt from going through the dark valleys of life. And Lord, there is a good chance that there are people here this morning who in some way, shape, or form are right in the middle of one this very moment. I pray, O Lord, that you would speak to them right now. I pray that you would touch them in such a way that they could feel it and know it was you. That they would be reassured by your presence to know that when the shepherd is near, there is nothing to fear. I pray, O God, that you would ingrain that truth in our hearts, deepen our walk with you, forge our character, O Lord, and give us a closer, more intimate walk with you. We pray that you would help this church family, this flock, Lord. We are yours. You are our shepherd. Lead us forward as a church family. Would you bless us? Would you keep us? And through whatever we face, would you keep us close by your side? Help us to be effective in our witness, in our walk, and in shining your light to this world around us. In Jesus' name we pray.